Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. All right, uh, we are on a series called The Journey. And uh, it's very simple. Life, this 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 walk with God, this walk with Christ, we are invited into a journey. It's a journey of following. It's not just, uh, we're not just invited to believe a belief. We're not just invited to uh, agree to a doctrine. We're invited to actually follow. And what I find, one of the most interesting things I find about the disciples is none of them were believers when they started following Jesus. They didn't even, that, that it, when we find in the book of Acts, we find James, who is the brother of Jesus, he's the leader of the New Testament church, or the, the, Acts church, the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, James is the leader, but when Jesus walked the earth, James didn't believe in him. He doubted he was who he said he was. So, we aren't just invited to believe. And you might be here thinking, well, I don't know if I believe. That's okay. You can follow anyways. Jesus gave an invitation to follow. Not just to believe, not just to receive, not to say certain things, but to follow and to, to learn how to follow. And, and so, following means a few things. When you say you're going to follow someone, or you're going to follow someone's teaching, or you're going to follow a new diet program, or you're going to follow an exercise program, what does that mean? You can talk now. It means commitment, doesn't it? It means discipline. It means lifestyle changes. Following means learning. It's, have you ever gone to start something new in your life and you realize, I don't know anything about this. I don't, I don't actually know how to do this. Following means learning. Following means discipline. Following, you're going to love this. It means hard work. Our lives are a journey. And the challenge is to journey in a way today that our tomorrow selves will be glad that we did. Live your life in a way today that future you will thank you for. Make the decisions to follow the things today that in 20 years you will thank yourself that you made those decisions today. I thought that was a pretty good point. I would have responded better than you did (laughs) if I heard that point. I just need your response because I'm a little insecure inside. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, have you, you notice we need to focus on different things at every different stage of our life, don't we? It's when you're, when you're, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were 15. Some of you are 15, so you can actually talk to yourself right now. But if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were 15, what's the advice you'd give yourself? Because I look at 15-year-old me and I think, you're stupid. (laughs) You were a 
stupid, stupid boy. In some ways. And in other ways, it's like you, you had it figured out. There, there were certain things in, your, in my life, even as a young man, I had, I had them figured out. I had them figured out better than my teachers had them figured out. It, like the, the teacher that tells you, you'll never get anywhere being the class clown. <laughs> I beg to differ. That became a life skill. <laughs> so for those of you that your teachers tell you to shut up all the time, I want to teach you the wisdom of timing. <laughs> Learn the wisdom of timing. Just because you have something witty to say, you don't need to say it every 10 seconds. But for some of you, I'd go back and say, you know what, you need to learn to talk more. You need to learn to open your mouth and talk. What are the skills that you would have told yourself as young you? What would you have told yourself to learn? What's that? Love how God, that's a really good one, isn't it? Because everything in our culture teaches us to not love ourselves, to teach us we're insufficient, so we need to be fixed, we need to be improved. God made you wonderful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, your 25-year-old self? These are every, every stage of the journey. I would, I would have told myself, don't be afraid to take risks. Even though I took risks, it's like, you know, you, the, what you end up regretting more later in life, this is actually not just me making this up. This is actually statistically. Most people don't regret what they did. Most people regret what, regret what they didn't do. <clears throat> Most people regret what they did not do, what they didn't try. They look back and think, I wish I would have tried. I wish I would have tried starting my own business. I wish I would have tried. And, you know, there's lots of things. You might try them and fail. But you know what you discover? Failure still, you still learn something in failure. Even though failure sucks, you still learn things in failure. You know what you learn from doing nothing? Nothing. And so regrets are always around what we haven't tried or what we haven't done. Okay. So we, we go through these stages of life where we're, you know, when we're young, our decisions, are they, they change as we get older, don't they? And uh, there's an author, um, Ronald Rollheiser, and... In his book, Sacred Fire, he talks about these stages in life, uh, two stages of, of life, where the first is, is called essential discipleship, and it is the struggle to get our lives together. This is, is kind of like age up to age 30, 35, 40. It, it's, you're just struggling to get your life figured out. You're just, you're just trying to get yourself under control. But then there's this mature discipleship. You know, if, if you make good decisions in the first part, your life starts to change into this thing called mature discipleship. And this becomes, rather than a struggle to get our lives together, this becomes a struggle to give our lives away. Instead, because well, once you get your life together, then you have this thing called a good life. And then you want to just keep it for yourself. And then the struggle becomes to actually pour out and to give. You've heard this, 
the saying, I spent my life climbing the ladder of success only to discover it was leaning against the wrong building. Well, I agree with that somewhat. I think sometimes you have to climb the wrong building first to realize that this isn't the building I want to be on. And there's a book by David Brooks. It's called The Second Mountain. And he talks about life being, by the way, the name of this message is Twin Peaks, just for all you 90 years. And it's about the second mountain. And uh, in this, this, this book, he talks about life having a two-mountain shape. And he says, this, this is just a, an excerpt from the book. It says, the goals on the first mountain are the normal goals that our culture endorses to be a success, to be well thought of, to get invited into the right social circles, to experience personal happiness. It's all the normal stuff. Nice home, nice family, nice vacations, good food, good friends, and so on. And then something happens. Some people get to the top of that first mountain. They taste success and they find it unsatisfying. Is this all there is, they wonder. They sense there must be a deeper journey that they can take. Other people get knocked off the first mountain by failure. Some, it happens to career, or family, or reputation. Suddenly life doesn't look like a, stud, a steady ascent up the mountain of success. It has a different and more disappointing shape. And for still others, something unexpected happens that knocks them crossways. The death of a child, a cancer, a struggle with addiction, a life-altering tragedy that was not part of their original plan. Whatever, these co- whatever the cause, these people are no longer on the first mountain. They are down in the valley of bewilderment and suffering. Some shrivel in the face of this kind of suffering. They seem to get more afraid and more resentful. They shrink away from their inner depths and fear. They live, they, their lives become smaller and lonelier. We all know old people who nurse, nurse eternal grievances. They don't get the respect they deserve, and they live their lives as an endless tantrum about some wrong done, done to them long ago. But for others, this valley is the making of them. This season of suffering interrupts the superficial flow of everyday life. They begin to want the things that are truly worth wanting. They elevate their desires. This is the second mountain. That's pretty good, isn't it? The second mountain, mature discipleship, the struggle to give our lives away. It's when we make that shift from just seeking to have more for ourselves to say, I want my life to be something that's more significant than just me. John chapter 21, 18, Jesus spoke to Peter. And this is right before Jesus had departed. And uh, Peter had just denied, Peter had just denied um, Jesus. And Jesus was seeking Peter out to bring him back into relationship. And then Peter basically said, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And then Jesus goes on to say this, very, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. How would you like that? 
you know what? If you choose me, you're going to lose your options and you're going to die. Now, come and follow me. And Peter, God loved Peter. Peter turned back and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? This was John. And when Peter saw him, he asked, this is so human nature. What about him? (laughs) You know, I don't mind if I am going to die in a way that I don't want to die, but you got to make him die in a way he doesn't want to die too for this to be fair. You know, I don't care if my life sucks as long as his life sucks as well. This is, Peter is a metaphor for you. By the way, like he, he is, everything you read in the life of Peter, it is actually a lesson for you because we are Peter. I don't care if, he suffer, if I suffer, but everybody else is going to suffer with me. Mama ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. And uh, Jesus just answers, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? In other words, mind your own business and follow me. It doesn't matter what's happening. Why did they get? It doesn't matter. They don't. You don't. They do. Too bad. Follow me anyways. Oh, we don't like that. That's not fair. But Peter, Jesus breaks Peter's story into two stages. He said this first stage where, hey, you dressed yourself. You got all the options. You can do what you want. You want to wear the polka dot tie? Wear the polka dot tie. But what he's saying is that as you follow me, you're going to lose your options. Life is going to, this is the second stage of life, is that the options begin to go, and this is how life works. We, we, we go through these two stages, this first and second part of life. The, we go through essential discipleship, which is where we have a lot of options. And, and the goal is to move us to mature discipleship. And you know, the first half of life, that's, that's childhood. It's the process of growing up. It's, it, it's innocence and it's idealism. You know, most kids are safe and secure and happy. If, if, they, if they have a good environment, most kids don't worry about a lot of long-term decisions. It's just, who am I going to play with today? That's kind of the, that's, that's the extent of, of the anxiety is, like, can I get all the play I have planned into the day? But then puberty hits. And this drive begins to take over that is designed to get us out of the house and into the world. It's designed to make us independent. Begin to pursue our own path, live our own dream. We have a lot of options. Most TV shows only show the first half of life. The first half of life is quite linear. there's, There's a predictive pattern to progression. And in the first half of life, we make the commitments that will define our life. We have a lot of options. But as we choose options, we begin to narrow. Uh, our, our options, be, as we make commitments, our options begin to narrow. And part of, part of the problem with even social media, our, our, our culture today, 
is we have too many choices all the time. You know, you go to pick out cereal on the show. I never pick out cereal because I hate cereal. But if you were to hypothetically, let's go with ice cream because I like ice cream. (laughs) If you go to pick out ice cream, how many of you think, I just want to get some great ice cream and it's going to be a treat. It's Friday night because the Friday night's the only night I eat ice cream. And you go and you look what's on the shelf and what is it? 18,000 flavors of ice cream. And you think, I don't want to make the wrong choice. What if I pick Cherry Garcia? And it's like, peanut butter smack your face was better. And, you know, the, the making decisions, we get par- If you go, there's chocolate, vanilla. Easy choice, right? Which one? Chocolate or Vanilla. Vanilla in the room. How many do we got? How about chocolate in the room? Nothing else is on the table. None of this Neapolitan crap. (laughs) But as as we make choices, our options narrow in life. And we get... What happens is, I think a lot of people, they never want their options to narrow, so they never make choices. Like, well, if I choose this relationship, I can't have all these other relationships. If I choose this career path, I can't have all these other career paths. And we get paralyzed by the fear of, well, if I choose the wrong one, and then as a result, we never actually choose any. It's important we make choices. It is actually comportment. It is important that we make choices because it's very important that our commitment, our sphere of commitments narrow. That's, that's part of a, a mature life is that you have, your, your options are actually going down. There's four commitments for a flourishing life, four important ones, our vocation, our spouse or our family, our philosophy or our faith, and our community. <clears throat> those we, we choose to do life with. And all of these are commitments that help us get through this first stage well. And as we make those commitments, then the second mountain, or this second stage, second half of life, it begins to call our attention. As, we're, as we grow, it, we begin to feel this call of the second mountain. As you, as you begin to succeed, in maybe, maybe doing something, or like, like the author said, maybe you got knocked off your mountain. Then all of a sudden, that second mountain becomes a lot more important. And that second mountain, though, this, is, this typically takes place around 45-ish to 55-ish is where the, the call of the second mountain becomes very real. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people, as they, as they go through this stage of life, they begin to realize the things I thought would make me happy don't. The things I thought would be important aren't. And the things that... It's, it's almost like I don't know where to go from here to build what I would consider a significant life. This is... It's been referred to as midlife crisis. It is real. I, I actually wish I would have learned more about this 
when I was in my 30s and 40s, so I would have been ready for it. When I hit it in my, I would say it was around 48, 49, is where the reality of it started to set, to set in. And there is something about grandkids that do wake you up to generational, uh, the the gener or the reality of you're gonna die and <laughs> and you might want to leave something of value to those who come behind you because it's like you know I I passed the halfway mark now and you always go faster down the hill don't you. Okay, five minutes and 55 seconds, and I'm on page two of seven. All right. I knew I could. I'm supposed to bring four pages to the platform, and I know I'm supposed to bring four pages to the platform, and I brought seven today. So I hope you don't have lunch plans. <laughs> the, the, second, the second half of life many people actually never make the journey to the second half well. They keep trying to go back and recapture the first half. They try and go back and, you know, get those, and, and, and it's like all you have to do is watch a movie or watch a TV program, and all it is is glorification of the first half of life. You know, The challenges we face in both halves are very different. This in, in the book Sacred Fire, this is a great description. Ronald Rollheiser, I, I highly recommend this book, by the way. Um, he says this, Once the sheer pulse of life so strong in us during our youth begins to be tempered by the weight of our commitments and the grind of the years, more of our sensitivities begin to break through. And we sense more and more how we have been wounded and how life has not been fair to us. How many have been there? New demons then emerge. Bitterness, anger, jealousy, and a sense of having been cheated. Where we once struggled to properly control our energies, we now struggle to access them. Where we once struggled to not fall apart, now we struggle not to petrify where we once struggled with Eros, the god of passion, we now struggle with Lysa, the god of anger. Someone once quipped that we spend the first half of our lives struggling with the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, and the second half of our lives struggle with the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> and it's really true. You feel this shift. It's, the, the angry old man is a real thing. Because the, that, that passion begins to, the, I, something about it. So here's the dangers that we need to confront at every stage. There's three dangers we need to confront, whether you're in the first half or the second half. It's the dangers that come, uh, the dangers of growth, the dangers of temptation, and the dangers of commitment. And the danger of growth to live well in both, both halves of life requires that we grow. To follow Jesus is to go on a journey of maturity. And the writers of the New Testament continually rebuke those who do not grow. You know, you've read, you just read the letters of Paul 
to the church. He says, you're immature. You're like infants in the sea. You're blown about and you're tossed around by every human scheming against you. You're, why? Because you don't grow. You're not wise. Jesus, the whole, the whole principle of the, the parable of the talents is about growing. He's, and he, what did he call the, there was one, the, the one servant who took his parable, or took his parable, he didn't take a parable, he took a talent which was money. He took money, and instead of investing it, he took it and he hid it in the sand. And what did the master call him? A, a lazy and wicked servant. Scott Peck writes that laziness is the root of all immaturity. There's an area in your life where you're immature. Laziness is at the root of it. Or if you just want to be lazy, there's going to be parts of your life that are never going to mature. Maturity takes work. The problem is, is we live in a civilization that glorifies immaturity. The Peter Pan syndrome, the life of play, relationships, no commitments, unhealthy food, never grow old, the eternal boy, or Tinkerbell, forever 21, always beautiful, no stretch marks, Always drives the boys crazy when she's in the room. You know, when you're 18, that's not so bad. But when you're 40, it's terrible. <laughs> There's a lot of pressures in our culture today that want to keep us young forever. Forever young, forever free, forever the adolescent. But that prevents us from actually becoming adults. Becoming mature, becoming, becoming people who learn how to climb the second mountain. We need elders who are elders. We need people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s that have grown and done life well. We desperately need it. The next generation needs it. Your grandchildren need you to be wise so that you can give them the advice that maybe you never got. If there's any advice I'd give you here is don't let the world convince you that the first half of life things are all that are worth living for. And the advice for the second half is keep making that journey up the second mountain and don't let the distractions of the first mountain draw. Call your attention back. The second, the second danger is the danger of temptation. And it's that temptation, the, you know, in the first half of life, temptation is it's, it's that sexual temptation. Sexual energy, I don't just mean sex, it's just like that driving passion that just... I mean, you, when you're young, you do dumb things. Isn't it true? Okay, when I was young, I did dumb things. You can include yourself in the category if you so choose. But it was all about just milking life for whatever you could get. The temptation that... And most of the first half of life is just learning to curb that desire, isn't it? 
just learning to get that get that discipline under get get that get those desires under control and some of you i mean some of you are in the thick of it you're in your you're in your 20s or your 30s and you're thinking will i ever get control of this area of my life i have news for you if you keep working at it you will you will get control and it's a journey you know what there's no mountains that are worth climbing that are easy to climb And the, the danger at the second stage is that temptation to try and recapture the, the euphoria and experience of the first stage. To try and kind of have that second or th- third honeymoon. And I don't, I'm not talking about marriage here. I'm talking about that euphoric kind of high that comes from pursuing pleasure when you're young. And we try and keep pursuing that. Those who've moved to the second half of life realize there is much more. And what's hard right now will turn into something beautiful if I journey through it well. The second half, succeeding in the second half, depends greatly on moving from the stage of wanting good feelings to wanting good for all of us. That which is good for our community. I, I'm so su- surprised at how the, my perspective has shifted towards even the command of God. Like when you realize the Ten Commandments, they're so restrictive. But you realize these commands weren't given to protect you. They were given to protect us. Like the commandments of God were designed to protect us as a people. They're designed to cause us to flourish as a people. And so, yeah, it, from your first mountain self, it might seem tough. But from your second mountain self, you'll, you begin to realize it can't really be any other way. And let me talk about this last one, the danger of commitment, or maybe, maybe this is the danger of not making commitments. And this would be something, if I were to look at our culture today, I would say this, this could become a real problem because, because we're all, we want options to the place where we don't want to commit to things. People don't want to commit. And, and this isn't a church phenomena. This is actually an everywhere phenomena. Organizations all over, all over Western civilization, they are dying because people aren't making commitments to them. People want, I just want to, I want to have all my options open. And I, I won't lie, I'm no different. But commitment is what causes things to grow. Commitment in in that book, The Second Mountain, Brooks defines commitment as falling in love with something and then building a structure of behavior around it for those moments when the love falters. Commitment is building a structure of behavior. And you know, we've, we've talked about, we, we've launched the Journey app or the Journey, uh, uh, the Journey program on the website. You know, that, that Journey program, it is a system of practices that have been t- tried and tested literally for thousands of years in the church by people wiser 
by some of the elders in church history that looking back have said, these are the practices, these are the habits that will cause you to prosper in your faith for the long term. They're practices from those who finished their journey well and look back and say, these are the commitments that got me through. I need to be done. Every time you make a commitment and you keep it over time, you change the child in you into a mature adult. Every time you make a commitment, it's vital for our future that we make commitments because it's the constraints of commitments that form our character. Paul said this, we celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance, which shapes our characters. When our characters are refined, we learn what it means to hope and anticipate God's goodness. Do you know, we have to suffer before we experience hope. This is a second mountain scripture. Some of you read that and go, I don't get that. But some of you have suffered and you understand how hope comes from suffering. You understand how it can get there. That's a second mountain revelation. On your first mountain, you won't get it. That's you need to take that that journey will continue if you do it well. Let's stand to our feet. Make commitments that future you will thank you for. Make commitments today that you will give you will thank yourself for in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. I just want to pray. Father, I thank you that you you are with us. And you you are with us on every step of the journey, the first half and the second half. You're you're with us in our immaturity, but you're also leading us to that place of maturity. You're wanting to lead us to that place of being whole and complete and mature. So, Father, I pray that as wherever, wherever people in this room are at, that we would just make that commitment to take that next step, that, may, that next commitment we need to take that next step in our journey. And Father, I pray for those that have been fearful of making that commitment because it's going to limit options. Or they're paralyzed by the fear of, what if I make the wrong commitment? And Father, I pray for the boldness to make the commitments that they know are the good commitments that will take them to a good place. And Father, I pray for the boldness and the, and the courage and the faith that you are able to bring us even if we make mistakes. You're able to do more with us when we're in motion than when we're still. And so Father, I, I pray for each, each person, wherever that I pray for, I pray for faith, pray for boldness, and I pray for that the, the resolve to make those commitments to move forward. And I just want to take a moment, I want to lead us in a prayer wherever 
you're, you're at. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been here for a long time, but I want to just pray a prayer right now. It's a prayer of saying yes to following Jesus. And you know, for me, that I pray this prayer every week because I, I actually believe I need to follow him every week. I don't believe that the decision that I made when I was 17 years old, it's not, it doesn't hold anymore. I have to say yes today. And so I want to just invite us, if you're here and the first time, you can, you can just pray with us. But it's a prayer saying yes to following Jesus, his plan and his purpose. Say, Jesus, I say yes to you, to follow you through every stage of my life. Would you lead me? Would you clean me up? Forgive me. Thank you that you have forgiven me. That you've given me a new heart and a new spirit to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.